Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jacob Avila and I'm joined by Michael Pratt and Cray Bolger. Hello, gentlemen and lady. Today, we're going to talk about an article that was published in the Annals of Emergency Medicine, and it is entitled, Lung Ultrasound for the Diagnosis of SARS-CoV-2 Pneumonia in the Emergency Department. And this study puts two things that I think are very important together. It puts my favorite ultrasound examination, which is the lungs, I love the lungs, with this global pandemic that we're dealing with right now. And... Prior to this, there definitely have been studies that have been published, but this one was done uh, rather nicely and in a way that I use lung ultrasound in my COVID-suspected patients. They use it in a prospective manner, and I'm very excited about the results. Yeah, I, for one, have to say that at this point, we're being a little bit choosy about the COVID articles that we're covering because, you know, you see these articles published now every day, so... For us to bring you another COVID article means that something significant has occurred. So this article asked the question, how accurate is an integrated clinical plus lung ultrasound exam for the diagnosis of COVID-19? And here's the cool part. They compared it to the initial PCR that was obtained in these patients. Who would have dared to do such a comparison with the assumption that ultrasound could approach the accuracy of a PCR? Well, the Italians could. This was a study out of Italy. They included adults with symptoms consistent with possibly having COVID-19, excluded people with a known COVID infection, people that needed a psychiatric assessment urgently, intubated patients. That one is kind of an important one. And of course, this was a convenient sample. So they excluded anyone that presented when there was not a trained attending physician there with lung ultrasound expertise. So this was a prospective cohort study. Patients arriving to the emergency department, they had a separate COVID-19 part of their emergency department. So everyone in this study was shunted off to that area. They got their initial evaluation. Now here's how the data collection went down. They got their history and their exam. The first, the doctor that was seeing them recorded whether or not they thought this was a SARS-CoV-2 pneumonia as a dichotomous yes or no. That was the first data point. Then they did their lung ultrasound, and we'll talk a little bit about how they did that in a second. After they did their lung ultrasound, they integrated this new information into their prior history and exam, and they now did another dichotomous, do they have COVID pneumonia, yes or no? And that was the data point that they're primarily testing. All the patients got a PCR test for SARS-CoV-2, and then all of the patients had a 30-day follow-up. And it's a little bit important to understand their diagnostic algorithm here. If the patient had an initial negative PCR and there was still continued suspicion, they would get a second PCR. These are nasopharyngeal swabs in within 72 hours. If they had an initial negative and there was no suspicion, then they were done. They counted as a negative test. The other way that they could get positive is if they got a BAL PCR that came back positive. So overall, they were, the primary outcome was the diagnostic accuracies of clinical evaluation, clinical plus lung ultrasound integrated assessment, 
or the first PCR compared to the reference standard of determination of COVID-19 pneumonia based on their ultimate diagnosis? I like that they really didn't exclude a whole lot of patients, just, you know, the ones who needed psychiatric assessment, the ones who were intubated. Um, The way that they did this study, when I first read it, I was actually like, oh, that's wrong. But then I thought about it more and I was like, that's actually perfect. And let me explain. So the person who did the clinical assessment beforehand is the same person who did the ultrasound. And that would introduce a bit of bias for the ultrasound, uh, you know, for that clinical assessment. However, that's actually how we practice medicine, right? I mean, we practice, we don't like, we're not doing a a history and then backing off and having somebody else do the ultrasound. We are doing the assessment and we're doing the ultrasound. So this is to me more of a real life kind of scenario way to do it. Here's the other interesting thing that's important about this study. For the lung scan, it's always important to know how much of the lung they actually looked at. They're using a curvilinear probe, which we all like for the lung. 12 zone protocol, six per side, pretty, pretty typical. And here's the interesting thing though, they didn't set very clear standards as what counted as a positive lung ultrasound. They basically said, hey, and I get the impression this was early on in the pandemic because they were like, here's some things we know about lung ultrasound findings of COVID-19 pneumonia. And you do your lung ultrasound. If you think they have it, you, you call it positive. If you think they don't, don't call it. So they, they trained them all on what it would look like, but they didn't say you had to have a certain number of lung zones positive to count or anything like that. This was a very subjective, and this was done by physicians that were pretty skilled in lung ultrasound. They all had to be accredited by the Italian Society of Emergency Medicine and have at least 40 lung ultrasound exams, and just by nature of them being Italian, I suspect that they're very good at lung ultrasound. So that subjectivity will come into play later because this was an integrated assessment where they basically just got to choose what they thought at the end of the day. All right, so Cray, can you hit us with the results? What happened in this study? Yeah, so they recruited 228 patients. Um, Almost 50% of these patients were diagnosed with COVID, which I think is something we're going to need to discuss in the results. Um, I agree with you. I like the layout, Jacob. I have concerns that we're only doing this on people who have been pre-selected to likely have COVID. So you're putting a lot of bias in ahead of time, and your pre-test probability is also high before we ever start it. So these patients were a little bit older, Um, 57 um, was about the median age. Um, Most of them were at least six days into symptoms, which we know now that COVID peaks around 10 days with severity of symptoms. So they were decently into their course where we would expect to find findings. For all the patients in this COVID ER, not just the ones who tested positive, 53% went home, almost 40% got admitted, pretty high ICU admission rate of 4%. And I was kind of shocked by this number. 3.1% just didn't make it out of the ER, Um, which maybe this has to do with the difference between American and European emergency medicine. Um, And also that we're also in this pre-selected respiratory unit. Um, But that number seemed awfully high to me when I think about what a day-to-day shift looks like for one of us. Um, So hopefully today, Jacob, your shift is better than these numbers. So of these COVID patients, 25% went home, 60.8% were admitted, 7.5% went to the ICU, and 6.5% never made it out of the emergency room. Ah, bad numbers. 
Um, so about 50% of their patients tested negative for COVID. And um, about 35% of these had a repeat test done. Of those repeat tests, 50% of them came back positive. So another 21 were added into the positive COVID cohort. Um, so how did ultrasound do? Based on their initial assessment with their clinical evaluation, their clinical evaluation had an 81.3% sensitivity for diagnosing COVID with a specificity of 63.6%. So if that were a lab test or diagnostic imaging test, we'd say, meh, not that great. Probably not gonna hang my hat on it. They had a positive likelihood ratio of 2.94 and a negative likelihood ratio of 0.29. Now, ultrasound plus their assessment brought their sensitivities up to 94.4% with a specificity of 95%, a positive likelihood ratio of 19. So pretty impressive, but had a pretty wide confidence interval, 8.7 to 41.6. Um, their negative likelihood ratio was 0 0.06. Comparing ultrasound plus clinical assessment to the PCR, the PCR had a sensitivity of 80.4%, which if we go back two minutes earlier, I told you ultrasound had a sensitivity of 94.4% when integrated with your physical exam. So ultrasound's outperforming our gold standard in this case. Wow. I mean, that was a shocker to me. This was like a surprising bomb drop that your ultrasound, specifically your ultrasound integrated with your clinical assessment was significantly more sensitive than the initial PCR. So what do you make of this? This was this was kind of wild. These results are amazing. I mean, for me, this kind of just shows that the lung ultrasound can be useful uh, in general and in the current pandemic in which we're in. I mean, granted, you know, if you play the devil's advocate, you could, if somebody had a high clinical suspicion of it, but a negative PCR, you could just still, you know, isolate them. But um, this is a good data point. And to be honest, the ultrasound itself, like, it isn't that complicated to do. You're already going to be in the room to do the assessment of your patient. Um, just scan them. And one thing about scanning the lungs that I like that they did here is they looked at the posterior area of the thorax. That was, you know, part of their six zone per hemithorax technique. And that's super important because the lower lobes are in the back. They're not like, you know, above the diaphragm necessarily. The lower lobes are all in the back. So the fact that they did that was, was good um, and very useful. And I would like to know this. If I had a negative PCR test, I would like to have somebody look at my lungs and tell me, you know what, your lungs look super clear, your PCR is negative. Um, if you still have symptoms, let's get retested, but I think your chances are pretty low, which is kind of what this study is showing. And there's two important points that they also brought up in the results. So the lung ultrasound, the integrated clinical lung ultrasound, actually identified all of the COVID-19 patients who were negative on the initial PCR. So based on their strategy, if you got the initial PCR plus lung ultrasound, they wouldn't have missed anybody. The, the six false negatives that they had actually came from the patients who were negative by the lung ultrasound, but positive on the initial PCR, if that makes sense. So the, the, between the two of them, it would have caught everybody. But the other interesting thing is that Cray mentioned the clinical exam itself also, you know, had a sensitivity that was, it was not horrible. And between the clinical and the ultrasound, 17 out of the 21 false negative PCRs, you would have caught by the clinical exam alone. So ultrasound saved you on those four, 
but you would have caught a bunch by clinical. So I think the real question, like Jacob was alluding to, is do we just put these people in isolation because we have a suspicion based on clinical criteria, or do we use our ultrasound in addition to that? Maybe people don't believe in the PCR, like that's not a great gold standard, lung ultrasound and chest or and clinical exam are doing well. Their 30-day follow-up, I think, was really crucial because I don't think we've seen this in previous studies, that these people didn't subsequently turn neg- pos- positive down the line. In 30 days, the negative stayed negative, which A, is a testament to Italians isolating, um, but B, I think, is you know a really reassuring thing because I think that's what, as clinicians, we worry about is, am I just catching you too early, right? And... I think maybe lung ultrasound for COVID is also panning out the way we see lung ultrasound for pneumonia, where we're picking it up before it's radiologically evident in other methods. So like chest x-ray and other modalities that we would typically use. So that made me feel better about this because you always worry, should I repeat this? Should I do it again? Like for my COVID child today, I'm going to feel a lot better if I don't see anything on her lungs today. Um, So I think that's something to keep in mind that 30 days out with a negative ultrasound and negative PCR that they stayed negative. They didn't turn positive in the interim. That's that's a really good point, Cray. And there a couple other limitations or some things that I think are important to consider in evaluating this data. There was a lot of subjectivity built into this. So in a lot of ultrasound studies, we already have to take into account how skilled the operators are. But if you're taking into account how skilled the operators are, plus how those operators subjectively integrate the ultrasound into their clinical assessment, that is maybe hard to reproduce. So it kind of limits the external validity in my book that, yeah, they were really accurate with this combined ultrasound clinical assessment. And like Jacob said, that's how we love to see this tested. We want to see this true point of care ultrasound where you're taking ultrasound as a piece of the puzzle, incorporating it into everything else that you know. But are we going to be able to reproduce that and get those same high sensitivities? I don't know. That's a that's a question mark. The other thing is the binary yes or no. Like they force these people to say yes, COVID, no COVID. And that's not actually what we do in clinical medicine all the time. It's not always black and white. And by forcing them to make an educated guess, that also may have uh, changed the accuracy because in real life, you may not have to um, be so black and white. I know, Jacob, you you have some thoughts on that in general because I'm, you are not a Sith, not I've a heard. Sith. Yeah, I don't deal in absolutes. <laughs> Although I think for the purposes of this study, the fact that they had to kind of just say yes or no, um, it was good because that's kind of like what we have to do. Like if you have COVID, you have to be on isolation. And if you don't have COVID, you're probably okay not being on isolation, you know? So like, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of okay with it in this sense. Cause that's kind of how things are now with COVID specifically. Even if we don't like it, I think that's part of our jobs. Like your patients need an answer, right? Like, that's just what we do. Like, yes, we typically hedge, but on paper, we write something down, right? We say, you need to isolate, you don't need to isolate. So kind of what Jacob was saying, like, we we aren't forced to do anything in medicine, except for some maybe weird CMS guidelines. <laughs> but we do have to come to an answer at the end of the day. Like, I, and a lot of it is this integration of what we find on exam, the history. So 
I liked that aspect of it. I honestly don't like the wishy-washy maybes, like, because then what do you do with that data, too? Like, the, I kind of thought it was there, like, which way do you, which side of the fence do you put that on? Because data really does need to be pretty binary. Um, this made me feel really good about using ultrasound, especially on those patients where maybe their PCR came back negative, but I have a high clinical suspicion and maybe saying like, hey, I know your test came back negative. I'd like you to get retested in two to three days. Your lung ultrasound is concerning. And it's something you can use with your patients. And maybe in other governments and other areas, this isn't a problem. But I think especially with a lot of the controversy around COVID and appropriate diagnosis and treatment, this can be a way to integrate your patients into the diagnosis. Like your lung ultrasound isn't normal. Look at it. See these lines? Those aren't okay. Even though your test came back negative, I really need you to keep isolating. Because then they at least can see something physically abnormal, you know, that they can process for themselves, which I think is my favorite part of using ultrasound at the bedside is involving the patient in interpretation of the, di of the images and in processing of the diagnosis. I think it helps them have a piece of information that's tangible. I like that a lot, Cray. And I think... Uh, I was I was counting on you bringing it home to figure out how to use this clinically. So thanks for doing that. I th I think obviously this depends on what's going on in your clinical practice right now. How are you diagnosing COVID? Are you using lung ultrasound already? Are you using X-rays? Are you using PCRs? Are you using repeat PCRs? Are you using rapid tests? So the whether or not this changes what you actually do in practice really depends on your current practice environment. How much COVID are you seeing right now? I'm guessing it's probably a lot. So I think that is up to you to, to integrate whether or not this is going to be useful, but certainly this is fascinating data. So let me summarize this study. This is a prospective convenience sample study out of Italy. They enrolled 228 patients with suspected COVID-19 pneumonia in their population with a 46.9% rate of positive COVID-19, they found that a lung ultrasound integrated with clinical evaluation was more sensitive than the initial PCR assay, 94.4% compared to 80.4%. Our take-home points from this article is that in this high incidence population, combining a 12-point lung ultrasound with clinical evaluation can identify cases of COVID-19 with a higher sensitivity than initial PCR testing. However, the external validity of these findings are limited due to the highly experienced operators and subjective determination of a positive test. So we still need some more evidence to show that incorporating ultrasound into a diagnostic approach is superior to relying on clinical suspicion alone. Thanks so much to these authors. This was really awesome work to read. Really enjoyed this. And thanks to you for continuing to listen to our podcast. You can learn more at ultrasoundgel.org. Talk to us on Twitter. And until then, we will talk to you later. Yeah, I've decided um, I'm, I'm going to take up viola instead of being a dad. Ha, 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 ha.